Good morning. I am uh, so glad you're here today. My name's Derwin, and uh, wherever you're watching from, I'm, I'm glad you've tuned in and joined us in the season where we're apart. It is so good to be connected. And our text this morning is in the New Testament book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible and you're at home, you probably have a Bible, please feel free to turn there, and uh, we'll read in just a moment. But the, the story is told about a pilot who, on his regular flight run, he'd always looked down intently on a certain valley that was close to where he grew up. And one day his co-pilot asked, he said, what's so interesting about that spot? And the pilot said, well, do, you, do you see that, that stream? You know, well, when I was a kid, I used to sit down there on a log and fish. And, and every time a plane flew over, I'd look up and I'd wish I were flying. Now, of course, I look down and wish I were fishing. So good. Why is it so hard for us to be content? We, we get what we want, and then we want what we had, or we want something else entirely. Contentment seems to be one of those virtues that is so elusive for us. Can anyone truly find contentment? Well, there's a guy named Paul in the Bible who claims he did, and, and, and more than that, he suggests that anyone can find contentment. And, and Paul, he talks about the, this contentment as he wraps up this letter that he's been writing to the church in Philippi, and I believe God put his words in the Bible for a good reason, to give us a, a, a real hope of, of enjoying contentment and, and thriving, actually. And considering the kind of world that we live in, we really need this kind of hope. And, and I'd say we really need this kind of message. And it means thriving for our souls. And so let's, let's dig in. Uh, Philippians 4, we'll begin reading at verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And God, we invite you in this space, in this time, in these moments, take your word and lead us into this thriving life that we, we sense this invitation is there for us in Christ. Help us uh, hear your word and enjoy it and live it, we pray, by your grace. Amen. 
Well, to understand why Paul writes this part of the letter, let me give you some background. You know that after uh, Paul started this church in Philippi, he actually left there and went on to start other churches, churches in places like Thessalonica or, or Colossae. And his friends in Philippi kind of kept their ear to the ground as to how Paul was doing. And, and from time to time, they'd send him financial help. They'd send him financial aid. Most recently, they discovered that Paul was under house arrest in Rome. Uh, Paul had been f- falsely ac- accused, and he's awaiting trial. He's, he's in this situation where he's chained to a guard in, in, in house arrests with no means to provide for himself. The Romans, they, they didn't feed their prisoners. You had to be kept by your, your friends and, and your family. And, and so his friends in Philippi have once again sent someone, Epaphroditus, to, to bring him a care package. And it kind of touches him deeply. He, he writes a letter back to them, and, and this is how the letter finishes. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, now earlier in this letter, Paul had urged his listeners to rejoice in the Lord always. And here, here he's doing it. He's, he's rejoicing. And as he ponders the thing to, things that in his life to rejoice in and, and thank God for, he remembers this care package from the Philippian church. And, and so he thanks them for that gift. And you know what? When you run into somebody who is just deeply grateful, you're, you're very likely talking to someone who's content. The first step towards contentment is Choosing to be thankful for what you have instead of concentrating on what you don't have. Uh, a lot of you would, would know the study, the, the famous study of an Olympic medalist by, by Professor Vicki Medvek. And she found that, that bra, uh, bronze winners, medal winners, tended to be demonstrably happier than silver medalists. And, and it's kind of obvious if you actually watch the Olympics. And the deal is this. That the silver medalists tend to focus on how close they came to getting the gold, so they're, they're disappointed in themselves, while, while bronze medalists, they realize just how close they came to not meddling at all, and so they're just happy to get a medal. And, and, it, and it illustrates the power of perspective. And Here's the thing. All of us know people who can find something good to, to focus on, even in the the, the hardest or the worst circumstances. And, and all, all of us know someone who can find something bad to focus on even in the best circumstances. There, there's a, a principle here. We tend to see what we're looking for. Um, pastor uh, and, and author Mark Batterson offers this kind of insightful comment here. He says, I think there are two basic types of people in the world. Complainers, and worshipers. Complainers can always find something to complain about. Worshipers can always find something to worship about. So contentment starts with with gratitude for what you have. So Paul thanks his friends for their generosity and care, and then he kind of clarifies in verse 11. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul says, I want to be clear. This is not a subtle request for more help. I've I've learned to be content. He's learned to be content whatever the circumstances. That that particular phrase is critical here. Paul 
says contentment doesn't come from your life situation. Now, that's a, those are kind of important words for us or actually surprising words to us because in our world, we almost always link contentment to circumstances. We, we tend to assume that improved circumstances leads to increased contentment. We expect that the strongest, the brightest, the, the most popular, the, the richest are, are the most content. And it's almost never the case. It, we also expect to be content if we get something that we really want. If, like, we lose that 15 pounds, <laughs> that elusive 15 pounds. If I can just get that job, or if I can just go on that vacation, or if I can just get that new device, uh, or if I can get a girlfriend or a boyfriend, or if I can just get married, or if I can just get out of the marriage I'm in. It, it's actually quite difficult for us to separate contentment from circumstances. We believe, we tend to believe that our life satisfaction hinges on everything in my life being right and good. But Paul says, you can be satisfied even when things in your life are decidedly not good. Verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, kind of, I've been on both sides of the track, you know, rich, poor, starved, stuffed, honored, hated, loved, lonely, you know, struggling, strong, free, chained, I mean, we know as he, he writes these very words, this letter, he's chained to a, a Roman soldier who's uh, probably even less excited than Paul is in that moment. But it's in this place where, where Paul announces that he has found the secret to contentment. By the way, you almost never see this word secret used in the Bible, in the Scripture. And I'm kind of thankful for that because it seems in our day there's always somebody selling the secret to something, right? The secret to, to making money, the, the secret to living longer, the secret, secret to silky, smoother hair. Uh, yeah, right. Secret to losing weight. Everyone seems to be hawking a secret. Let me tell you that the secret to all these secret hawkers, they're after your money. <laughs> they'll, they'll give you your secret if you give them your money. The, the secret to getting rich is to sell the secret to getting rich. So I might be just a bit jaded by the word secret, and I, I'm really glad that the Bible rarely uses the term, but Paul does here, and this is why I think that he does, because the answer to contentment is not what you'd expect. Here's the secret. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. In other words, deep and true and lasting contentment is possible. Actually, it's impossible without God's help. It's possible in Christ. Paul says he's, he's learned to be content, but he's making it clear here that learning contentment is a gift from Jesus. It's something that comes from Jesus. Tragically, this verse is often ripped from its context, and it's used to, to teach the very opposite of what Paul intends like, like one of the times it was made famous was by the, the boxer Evander Holyfield. He had it embroidered on his robe so that it would be seen when he went on to fights. And he was wearing this when he went to, 
to fight Mike Tyson. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which translates to, I'm going to beat up Mike Tyson. And he did. But then he wore it again to, to fight Lennox Lewis, right? I can do all things through Christ, and, and then he gets beat up. But, but this is kind of our, our catch-all verse for what, whatever I feel like doing, God's going to give me the power to do it. Someone will quote this and, and then tell you, see, you can do anything you want to do. God, God will help you reach every goal, realize every dream, get everything that you want in life. God's kind of like the, the genie in the bottle. <laughs> you want a million dollars? God will help get you there. You want to be a famous singer or a famous actor? You know, your wish is God's command. God will, will give you all the things that you think you need to be content. The tragic irony is, is that those things don't bring contentment. I mean, just ask those or read about those who have achieved worldly success at the highest levels. Um, actor Jim Carrey, I'll never forget his words when he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Contentment does not come from getting all that I want. Contentment doesn't come from being able to control all of my life. Paul, Paul doesn't promise you that God will help you control life. You know, I've seen this firsthand time and time again as I've traveled the world, especially as I've traveled among the poor. I'll, I'll never forget meeting refugees in, in, in these big camps that are spread all throughout the country of Lebanon. The, these folks had, had fled their homes because of war, and, and, and they were now living in these tent cities, kind of just scraping together an existence. Refugees often live with so little control over their lives. And yet I was amazed as I met these refugees, many who had, had through their journey, had, had actually, it had been an Exodus story for them. They'd actually come to Christ in the midst of it. And, and, and though they were poor, after they'd met Christ, they were so joy-filled. They, they were so rich. They considered themselves to have won the lottery in Christ. Warren Wiersbe, kind of well-known Christian writer, says, real contentment must come from within. You and I can't change or control the world around us, but we can change and control the world within us. And here's Paul, you know, chained to a guard, awaiting a verdict on whether he'll live or die, living in the, the simplest of quarters, and he speaks about the contentment that he's found in Jesus. Now, at this point in the letter, it, it, it seems like Paul may be concerned that they'll misunderstand his words. Perhaps it sounds like he's, he's downplaying their gift or, or minis, minimizing the importance of generosity. This would be a, a great concern to Paul because he, he, he was passionate about generous and, and, and sacrificial giving. So he writes this in verse 14 on on. He says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Paul's saying, please don't misunderstand my contentment. It was good for you to send me resources. With, with or without that gift, though, I, I've learned to be content. But it was good 
for you to express God's love with a gift. You've, you've given to me and provided for me time and time again. Never underestimate how important giving is. So Paul here is, he's commending their generosity. And Paul's letter takes this shift from contentment to how good and right it is to give. He begins to, to reflect on their gift. And in his words, he reminds them why giving is so important. And there's really three reasons here. First is this, giving meets the needs of others. You know, when, when Paul moved from city to city and he started new churches, he had to find a way to support himself. And so he actually had a side job. He was a, a tent maker. You know, he, he set up these little mountain equipment co-ops in every little village and town that he, the, that he went to. And we, have, we know of many global outreach we, workers. We have some in our own community who have gone out and started a business, and, and we kind of cheer them on and partner with them. But, but I love to reflect on the fact that here at Hillside, when we give, there are individuals, their families, they, they become global outreach workers who are loving on unreached people groups and, and sharing the good news of Jesus with people who have never heard of Jesus. I, I think of a little church that we sponsor in, in, in Duhuk in Iraq, who because of our financial gifts, they're able to feed and love on and, and, and care for Yazidi refugees who are, are so badly in need of the hope and compassion of Jesus. This little church couldn't, couldn't have done this without the generosity of us and others. Paul knew this, and, and financial gifts are invaluable. Having said that, though, you know, financial gifts always meet more than just a financial need. I, I don't know if you've ever faced desperately lean times, but if you have, you know how deeply encouraging those gifts are. Giving always meets more than financial needs. You know, a, a gift can remind somebody that they're not forgotten by God, that God's still there. A gift can restore someone's faith in God or inspire them not to quit, not to give up. A gift can, can communicate love. I wish I could read all the thank you cards that we get at Hillside. We, we often have them come in the mail or they're dropped off uh, when, from individuals and families where we've sought to just care for them in their time of crisis or need. So we get notes from single mothers or, or single parents or to those who've lost jobs, and, and it's so inspiring. You can tell they've been so encouraged by our, our generosity. It's so good. And, and financial gifts rarely just bless one person. Almost always the, the gift keeps on giving. Giving has this kind of domino effect, right? When Paul was starting a church in Thessalonica, and his friends in, in, in Philippi sent financial gifts. Here's the good thing about that, was Paul could spend less time, you know, making tents and more time sharing the good news of Jesus. In other words, their gifts helped others to hear about Jesus. Their, their gifts literally helped to change lives. In, in a similar way, when, when you give a gift to Hillside on a Sunday, you aren't just helping kind of pay the, the, the heating bill or, or supporting a staff member or buying copy paper. You're, you're helping us bless children and, and show the love of Jesus to, to teenagers and youth. You're helping create followers, Jesus followers, disciples, and, and you're helping grow and nurture faith. 
you're, you're, you're sharing the good news of Jesus to this community through ministries like Alpha. You're, you're helping bring the real healing and hope and compassion of Jesus in just such real, you know, practical ways in our neighborhood, in the Tri-Cities and beyond. Your, your gifts don't simply help pay the bills. They touch lives. They really do. And so giving always meets more than just financial needs. Secondly, giving doesn't just enrich others. It enriches you. It blesses you. Paul says, not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. You know, whenever you're encouraging others to to be generous, it can kind of appear to be self-serving. So Paul says again, he says, please understand, I'm not looking for another gift. I'm I'm encouraging you to be generous because of what it does for you. And he he kind of gives them an accounting image here. He says, I want your account to be credited. In in other words, giving always kind of comes back to you. Your, your, Your credit is always on the plus side. You know, I like how, how Bob Hope put it. This may be particularly poignant in our day right now. Laughter is an instant vacation. Giving is a two-week cruise with pay. Maybe that's your vacation right now. You, you, you can't travel overseas, but you can enjoy laughter and giving. And sometimes, you know, as your pastor, I you know, feel awkward about talking about money. And, and again, it can seem self-serving, but... I'll never remember, I'll never forget, actually, a, a message I gave years ago on giving. And, and actually, it was, I titled the message, Why I Give. Uh, and, and a hillsider, a longtime hillsider, came up to me and said to me, Derwin, don't ever stop telling people to give. It has been such a blessing. It's been one of the biggest blessings in my life. The joy I've received from giving. Be bold in talking about this to our people. And it's true. We always get a return on giving. You know, sometimes when you give, it's, it's a financial blessing. You know, when, as, as Angel and I, as we've given generously at times, I, I've sometimes we've, we've had an unexpected gift or, or something that we've needed come our way. Ask me about lawnmowers sometime. Great story. But you know that the deepest returns on my giving haven't been financial. Giving has, has grown my heart. It's grown my faith. It's, it's grown my, my compassion and quotient. Do you remember Jesus uh, said, he said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, as I've said many times here, your heart tends to follow what you do with your money. Giving expands and blesses your heart. Giving is is good, Paul says, because it makes you rich. Finally, giving also brings joy to the heart of God. Paul says, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Uh, Let me ask you, um, what is one of your favorite smells? Maybe the smell of, of baked bread or curry or kimchi or a roast in the oven, you know, spring flowers. Funny, um, I like probably most of you, I don't like rain, 
but I love the smell of rain. There's something about the smell of rain that is so good to me. Well, God has favorite smells as well, and one of them is the the smell of giving. Your generosity, Paul says, makes God breathe in deep and smile. Generosity, we're told, blesses God. In fact, giving is a, a kind of worship. It's a way in which we communicate just how grateful we are to God and how much God matters to us. It's an important part of our worship. More than that, our our giving is a gift to God himself. A a gift to support a child through compassion is a gift to God. When you give a a gift to Hillside, you you don't write in the pay-to line, you know, to God. Um, Actually, a lot of you don't even write checks anymore. But when you you, uh, fill out that e-transfer, you don't put to God. You you write to Hillside. But but here's the thing. It's a gift to God. Or or when you give a a cash gift or or a meal to a homeless person, we're we're to look for God in their eyes. Jesus said, when you give to the least of these, you do it unto me. So he's there. God's in it. It's a gift to God. Giving always is. So here's how I'd summarize Paul's two thoughts in our text so far. First is, I'm content. And second is, giving is good. And then he finishes his letter with this third thought, and he says this. He says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And this is the the key. You see, at the heart of both contentment and, and generosity is a God who is so with us and so for us. God's provided for everything I need most, for for what you need most. What you need most today is is not money. God's got plenty of it, and he could give more of it to you in a heartbeat, but, but money is not what you need most. What you need more than money is, is love. What, what you need more than money is, is forgiveness, the, the, the assurance that, that you're, the broken parts of you, the, the pieces of the things you've done can be redeemed. What you need more than money is is reconciliation with the Father who created you and wants you to come home. What you need more than money is is a faithful friend who will never abandon you. And love and and forgiveness and reconciliation and and faithful friendship. That's wealth. That's real wealth. And that's the wealth that God has given to us in Jesus. I'm not saying he doesn't care for our actual needs. Our, our physical needs, I should say. He cares that you have food on your table. He cares that you have a roof over your head. In fact, Jesus told, told us not to worry about those things. If, if the God who cares for the sparrows, he cares for you. He cares so much about you that he's numbered every hair on your head. For some of us, that's just an easier counting than others. But God, our, our Father, cares for every dimension of your life. And ultimately, folks, thriving comes and and contentment comes from knowing the love of a God who will never leave you. And generosity, it's it's inspired by, by knowing the God who's given you every good thing you'll ever need, especially Christ, so much so that you become so happy to share it. 
As I was thinking about this, this passage this week, I couldn't help but think of a song that I've come to love in recent years. And I've asked Kevin to, to sing it uh, as kind of just a way for us to kind of conclude today. It's a song called I Shall Not Want, and it's written by Audrey Assad. And the theme is taken from the first line of the 23rd Psalm. If the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's another way of saying I'll be content. If God's my shepherd, everything's going to be okay. And the song is, is part confession. And I would suggest as, as we hear it sung, we can, we can confess along with it. And it's part of invitation. Where she says, when I taste your goodness, I shall not want. As Kevin sings this morning, would you, why not let it become a prayer for you? That, that we might know and, and taste and learn this wonderful, amazing love of God.